the names of Jesus Christ. He is called, some of them are, the Amen in Revelation 3.14. In Revelation 22, he is called the Alpha and the Omega. In 1 John 2.1, he is called the Advocate. In Hebrews 3, the Apostle. In Hebrews 12, the author and perfecter of our faith. In Hebrews 2, he's the author of salvation. In Colossians, he is the beginning or the origin of God. Uh, That is in Revelation 3.14. He is called the branch. He is called the bread of life. He is called the cornerstone. He is the consolation of Israel. He is the counselor. He is the deliverer. He is, as we'll see this morning, the door of the sheep. He is the eternal father, the faithful witness, the first and the last in Revelation chapter 1. He is the firstborn of the dead and over all creation in Colossians 1. He is the forerunner. He is the great high priest. He is the guardian of our souls. He is the head of the church. He is the holy one of God. He is the great I am. He is Emmanuel. He is king of Israel. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is the last Adam. He is the lamb of God. He is the light of the world, the lion of the tribe of Judah. He is Lord. He is Lord of glory. He is mediator. He is Messiah. He is called mighty God. He is the morning star in Revelation 22. He is the only begotten God in, first, in John 1.14. He is our Passover. He is called the prince of Life. He is called the Prince of Peace. He is called the Resurrection and the Life. He is the Righteous One. He is the Rock. He is the Root of the Descendant of David. He is the Root of Jesse. He is the Ruler of Israel. It says that He is also described as the Ruler of the Kings of the Earth. He is called Servant. He is called Shiloh. He is called Son of the Blessed One. He is called the Son of David the Son of God, the Son of Man, the Son of the Most High, the Son, S-U-N, of righteousness. He is called the sunrise from on high. He is the true God, the true vine. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is called the Word, and He is called the Word of God. But perhaps His most endearing, And his most intimate title of all the names, his names, is that he is called the Good Shepherd. And it's with that I want you to turn to John chapter 10. Jesus will declare that he is the Good Shepherd. He will actually declare, as you look down in John chapter 10, in verse 11... He says there that I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd in 10.11 lays down his life for the sheep. He says in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. And so he's called the good shepherd. Now as we walk back into John chapter 10, the imagery of the shepherd was familiar to this nation. And I suppose I could call it an imagery. It was a, there was a literalness to the shepherd, and we're going to look at that today. But there's a rich metaphorical imagery of that shepherding principle. In fact, as you glance at the biblical revelation, many Old Testament figures were called shepherds, and they, in fact, were shepherds. Abraham is called a shepherd, Isaac was called a shepherd. Moses is called a shepherd. David, of course, was called a shepherd. But the greatest of all shepherds in the Old Testament is none other than God. He is called the shepherd. In fact, it says in Psalm 80, verse 1, O shepherd of Israel, you lead Joseph like a flock. In fact, in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 40, verse 11, speaking of the coming Messiah, he will tend his flock like a shepherd, and he will gather the lambs in his 
arms. But obviously the greatest, most beloved maybe of the Psalms is Psalm 23, that the Lord is my, what? Shepherd. That could be one of the greatest Psalms of all the Psalms, although you might have another that is favorite, but the Lord is my shepherd. In fact, in Psalm 100, verse 3, you probably know this one, know that the Lord, He is God, it is He who made us, and we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And so there's a rich metaphor of shepherding both the reality of it and the imagery of it for spiritual leadership. But we also know in the Old Testament there were bad shepherds. In fact, I won't take time. We'll have a few weeks at the Good Shepherd here. But in Jeremiah 23, there God speaking to Jeremiah, woe to the shepherds who destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture. God pronounces a curse on the shepherds who are destroying and scattering, if you will, the fold of God. But here, beloved, in John 10, Jesus is the good shepherd. And it is a wonderful, a wonderful passage of Scripture. As we set our eyes back in John chapter 10, Uh, Of course, there is a context, and wherever there is not a context, it is usually a pretext for whatever the pastor wants to say, but that's not our goal here. Our goal here is to exposit from the scripture, and we left off at the end of John chapter 9, because as you come into John chapter 10, the good shepherd is contrasted with the Pharisees. It is contrasted with the Pharisees and their dialogue with the man who was born blind in chapter 9. As you set your eyes in chapter 10, there is some question is where did he give the good shepherd dialogue? When did he give this good shepherd dialogue? And I think it's pretty obvious to me that here it is the same audience. In other words, I know it's been some months as we turn to the Sermon on the Mount, but I want you to understand there is a flow in the text. He walks out, if you will, and has healed the man that was born blind, and chapter 10.1 just goes. In fact, look at the end of the discourse in chapter 10 in verse 21. Here's one of the reasons I believe that. It says there, others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so here, Jesus Christ and the false shepherds, the Pharisees, are contrasted. In fact, look back in chapter 9, just the last three verses. It's fascinating. In 9.39, Jesus said, And here, watch this. He is speaking to the healed blind man. He's still speaking to the disciples. He's speaking to the Pharisees. And he's speaking to the larger crowd. He says there in 939, For judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see. And those who see, in other words, if you think you're spiritual, may become blind. And some of the Pharisees heard him or heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, in other words, if you knew you had sinned, you would have no guilt. But that, but now that you say we see, he said, your guilt remains. And so there's a contrast here. We're walking out of a chapter with the Pharisees who are seen as the false shepherds and walking into the chapter of the good shepherd. I mean, don't forget what the false shepherds did with the blind man. God, Jesus Christ, healed him. He put spit and then he used mud, put it on his eyes, go told him to wash in the pool of Siloam and he came out seen. 
And rather than rejoicing in the miracle, they put him through kind of a a, a test and brought him in. Who healed you? And then brought his parents in. And then ultimately, it it led up to this. The man said, the blind man who was healed in 931, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone, this is the blind man, Open the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. You think they would rejoice. Verse 34, they answered him, you were born in utter sin and you would teach us. And here it is. And they cast him out. They excommunicated him, if you will, from the temple. Here were these leaders who should have recognized Messiah God in their presence. And they would say later that he has a demon and said earlier that he has a demon. And rather than rejoicing in the miracle, they cast him out. I think you're going to see, look at 10.1, when he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and that man is a robber, okay? The thief and the robbers are clearly in this illustrative illustration, a picture of the religious leaders. I think it's interesting that they're mentioned there in 10.1, that man is a thief and a robber. Look at verse 8. Jesus says, all who come before me are thieves and robbers. Glance down in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He's addressing the false shepherds. Beloved, there's not enough time today, but we live in the midst of false shepherds all around us. And I'll tell you, if Jesus Christ ever was on his authoritative vocal pitch to preach and cause and give out curse and woe, it was to the religious leaders. He said in Matthew 23, 15, woe to you, false shepherds. He said, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He called them hypocrites. He said in Matthew 23, you travel across sea and land and you make a single proselyte. And when he becomes a proselyte, you have made him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Those are pretty strong words, are they not? In fact, he said in 23, 16 to the religious leaders, you blind guides. It's interesting, isn't it? He just opened the eyes of this man in chapter 9. But when he addresses him in Matthew's gospel, he said, you blind guides who say if anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. Jesus said, you blind fools. He later in Matthew chapter 23, verse 24 said, you blind guides straining out the gnat and swallowing a what? A camel. And so you can't miss the picture of what we come in here. Jesus profoundly is the good shepherd who sovereignly saves his own sheep. They hear his voice and they follow him. And the Pharisees and the religious leaders of the day are the thieves and robbers. Now our Lord in John chapter 10 is taking a figure of speech. You say, well, why is it a figure of speech? Well, because it says it's a figure of speech. Look down in verse 6. The figure of speech Jesus used with them. He's using a figure of speech. So I say that some theologians say that this is a parable. It is not a parable as a different Greek word. This is a figure of speech. This is a metaphor. And he takes that figure of speech from life and he turns it into a profound spiritual application for us. Now, as we approach the text this morning, there's just two keys to grabbing at least one through 10, okay? There is a description of the shepherd in 10, one through six, okay? And then secondly, there is the explanation of the Savior in 7 through 10. In other words, first, he gives the description of the shepherd in 1 through 6, 
And then secondly, he offers his explanation because look at verse 7 when we start that second key aspect. Jesus said again to them, truly, truly, I say to you. In other words, he's going to explain it to him. So first, if you're taking notes, the description of the shepherd, okay? Let's look into the text. 10.1, truly, truly, I say to you. Just stop there just for a moment. Whatever he's going to say and all that the Lord Jesus Christ said was powerful, all that he said was authoritative. But he made some statements and he attached this phrase to the beginning of it. Truly, I truly, 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 I say to you. In other words, he's going to bolster this metaphor by a solemn pronouncement. Truly, truly. What does he say? Look down in the scripture in verse 1. He who does not enter by, enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Now, he begins this exposition by focusing on the false entry. You'll note there, it just says, he does not enter by the sheepfold, and then he talks about the thieves and the robbers. They don't come through the door. He says they enter in a, into a, a false way. These are clearly the false teachers just in the previous chapter. Jesus then uses a term, and I just want to give you the description of it. Look at the term in verse 1. He says, I say to you, he who does not enter by the, by the sheepfold. Okay? Now, he uses a term that was very common in Palestine at this time. He's talking about um, a sheepfold. He's talking, uh, maybe just for the sake of a word, a sheep pen. Now, what that was, if you can picture this, in a village, there were, and they usually had two of these sheepfolds, but it was a, a walled enclosure, okay? And usually that walled enclosure often was made of some type of brick or what we would call mud and clay. And then over the top of that enclosure, they would put briars on the top. And when these Palestinian eastern shepherds were taking care of their sheep, they would take them to pasture and then they would bring them back, if you will, to the sheepfold. And usually these sheepfolds in Palestine were not just one sheepfold, but they were sheep, if you will, from several shepherds. And they would bring them and put them in this sheepfold and uh, in this one pen, and each of those sheep in that pen would belong to different shepherds. Now, you'll note, look what he says in verse 1. It says that he who does not enter, by, enter the sheepfold by the door, he climbs in another way. That man is a thief and a robber. He uses just two terms there uh, to describe a thief and to describe a robber. They're not really different. I think they're primarily synonymous, but if there is a difference, a thief would enter in and deprive another one of his property, and a robber usually would use violence to obtain what he desired. So these thieves and robbers come in another way. But by contrast, look at verse 2. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. In other words, only the shepherd entered into that door or only the shepherd of those respective sheep that were in that sheepfold could enter into that door. The shepherd, you understand, was the guardian. The shepherd was dedicated to his flock. Shepherding in this day took vigilance. It took courage to be a shepherd. Now, you'll also note, look down at verse 3, to him obviously the shepherd, the gatekeeper opens. And so the shepherd had a gatekeeper. And the gatekeeper, if you will, kept out thieves and robbers from devouring the flock. The thieves and the robbers in biblical times would climb in the wall, over the wall. They wouldn't enter by the door. And frankly, they would come in, slit the throat of the sheep, take the wool, take the meat, and they've never entered into the door. 
They've just come over the top in some fashion. Now, he's obviously using a metaphor from life. We live here and we understand somewhat of this metaphor, but not as great as obviously the Eastern shepherds did. But I have to tell you from my background, which is not extensive, but I've been over to New Zealand at least uh, 12 times. And they say that New Zealand is the land of 3 million people and 70 million sheep. They are all over the place, if you will. 3 million people, 70 million sheep. And I'd have to tell you, they are one of the most defenseless animals that God has ever created. I I would tell you, and it's not to be little sheep, but they are helpless in many ways. The shepherd in biblical times was a hands-on shepherd. He was there for their protection. He was there for rescue work. He was there to clean these sheep or they would die. In fact, it was common when I was in New Zealand, just a little illustration. I'd ask one of the the sheep farmers who was at one of the Bible conferences. I said, you look tired. He goes, I am tired. I said, why are you all tired? Why are you tired? He said, I was up all night with my sheep. I go, why would you be up all night with the sheep? He says, because, mate, they went cast. And I'd say, what's cast? I mean, what happens to these sheep, especially when they got a lot of wool on them before they would shear them? They would be thick with wool, and they would lay down on night after grazing in the pasture, and their wool was so thick, when it hit the ground, when it was below freezing, it, the water from the grass would freeze on their wool, and the, sh- the sheep would become cast. He could not get up. So he just, you know, he just, he, and so those shepherds are out there all night helping these sheep. And you can imagine if there's a prey there, they're going to have a sheep. And in fact, they would tell me that at times the prey of, of the animals would come out of the mountains. Do you know that sheep are at times so defenseless, there will be a wolf mangling a sheep and then another sheep and all the other sheep just stand there and look at them. Honestly. So a shepherd was necessary. And in this day, as much so, the work was difficult. The work was tiresome. In fact, that term shepherding conveys an amazing likeness between real shepherds and real sheep and God's shepherd and his people. In fact, there's a wonderful book written by Charles Jefferson, one of my favorite of all times. It's called The Minister as a Shepherd. And he wrote both of the reality of the shepherd as well as the role of the shepherd in spiritual leadership. And some of the things that Jefferson said, he said it was the shepherd's business to keep a wide open eye, constantly, if you will, searching the horizon for enemies. In fact, Jefferson went on to say that these shepherds in biblical times had a watchtower and they used to kind of climb on the watchtower and look out and is it any It's not amazing that in the Old Testament, he says to Ezekiel, son of man, you are the watchman. In other words, he was telling the true shepherds, you get on your watchtower. And he had a watchtower. Vigilance was the cardinal virtue. He could not indulge the shepherd in fits of drowsiness, for the foe was always near. At certain seasons, there were floods. Swift action was necessary in order to escape destruction for these sheep. Animals were enemies to the sheep. In biblical times, they had lions, they had bears, they had hyenas, they had jackals, they had wolves. And then if it wasn't just those enemies coming in from the ground, they had enemies of the air. Huge birds of prey were always soaring and ready to swoop down and snatch their victim. In addition to that, there were human birds of prey. Robbers, men who made it their business, if you will, to rob shepherds. There are men today who are fleecing the flock. And so he gives this imagery here. In fact, in the Old Testament, the the shepherds of Israel often were a nation of false shepherds. And God kept calling down judgment on the shepherds of Israel because they failed to care for God's flock, Israel. In fact, Look in your Bible. I just want to take you to a passage to Ezekiel, okay? Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. In fact, you could even, as you're turning to 34, look over in 33, verse 1. 
when it says there, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, 33, one of Ezekiel. He said, speak to the people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon the land and the people of the land, take a man from among them and make him their watchman. In other words, if the guy's the watchman and terror comes and blood is shed and the watchman doesn't cry out, the blood is on the watchman's hands. If terror and the enemy is coming in and the watchman warns the people that the enemy's coming in, then he's free from that blood that would be shed because he warred the people. Look over at it in Ezekiel 34. I love this picture. He said, the word of the Lord came to me. And beloved, this is the word of the Lord. This is a prophetic word. This is the word of God. This is not a feeling that somebody feels like they're going to get a feeling when they get a feeling. What people say today, you know, God spoke to me. God gave me this message. God doesn't speak audibly today, nor does he give people messages to say. All we have to say here at Grace Church is what the word says to you. But here, this is scripture in 34.1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourself with wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. And my sheep, you catch that? God's the shepherd. My sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over the face of the earth with none to search and seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely because my sheep, have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there is no shepherd, and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Just a pause there. What do you think these health, wealth, and prosperity teachers are doing? They're ripping people off blind while they live in their lavish lifestyle, flying all over the globe in their Lear jets. Honest, honest to you. They're not feeding people, they're feeding themselves. Verse 9, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I myself, will search for my sheep and seek them out as a shepherd seeks out the flock when he is among his sheep and they have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. But if you will, look down at verse 23. This is precious. And I will set over them, what does it say? One shepherd. He speaks of my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Listen, brother, that greater servant of David is who? The son of David. He's Messiah. Listen, I believe in John 10, we're reading fulfilled prophecy of the Lord Jesus Christ. He comes on the scene after the false shepherds had mangled that blind man. They kicked him out of the temple. They not only, if you will, got rid of the sheep, they will crucify the shepherd, God himself, the Lord Jesus Christ, at the end of the gospel. But beloved, you understand in John 10, as you turn back, these false shepherds were fleecing the sheep. They had just thrown that man out of the temple. And would you note, by contrast, again, it says in two, but it says, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. And look at verse three. 
to him, the gatekeeper, what? Opens. Now listen, I don't usually spend too much time on wordplay, but I do think it's interesting just for free for you. To him, to the shepherd, to him, the gatekeeper opens. And that verb open is used repeatedly in chapter 9 for Jesus opening the eyes of the blind. Look, in 9.10, so they said to him, then how were your eyes opened? Verse 14, now it was Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. Look at verse 17. They said to the blind man, what do you say about him, Jesus, since he opened your eyes? And he said he is a prophet. Verse 21, but now he sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. And his parents said in 21, ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 26, they said to him, what did he do? How did he open your eyes? Open, open, open. And here in 10.3, to him, the true shepherd, the chief shepherd, the good shepherd, the gate opens. But watch what happens in the text. I'm describing the shepherd for you. To him, verse 3, the gatekeeper opens and the sheep, what do they do? They hear his voice. Now, what do you mean they hear his voice? Do you remember when I told you in the sheepfold, there were probably several flocks in there. And just to put this in picture in our day where large is better, they would think that the common shepherd had about 20 sheep. So you've got this enclosure. Let's say there's six, seven, eight flocks in there, 20, 30, maybe 40. But when the gatekeeper opens the door, the shepherd comes in and the sheep, look what it says there, hear his voice. And so there could be several flocks in the sheepfold But when their shepherd came in, he had some kind of peculiar call. And when he whistled, maybe he gave the cadence of his voice. I I wish I could whistle. I can't. But I just, he came in and went, he made some kind of noise. And the sheep heard his voice and they responded to the shepherd's voice. in, in, In some ways, I just think he's like the Pied Piper. Let's say there's 150 sheep. He comes in and he doesn't have a a pipe, but he's, and he gives some kind of whistle and they come to him. So picture it like this. At night, in this opening context, the gatekeeper was with his sheep. In the morning, the shepherd comes back and as he opens the gate to the shepherd, they hear the shepherd's voice as the door opens and the sheep recognize the voice of their own shepherd. It's precious, and he's just describing what a shepherd does, but it's, it's very intimate, isn't it? In fact, look at the text again in 10.3. The sheep hear his voice, I love this, and he calls his own sheep by what? Name, and he leads them out. So here's the picture. They not only recognize him, not facially, but they recognize his intonation for that particular flock. And then he calls them by name. And so maybe he said, I don't know, I was trying to make these up. Blacky, spotty, long ears. You might have some better ones than I do. And as they hear his voice, they, look at the text again, it says he leads them out. What's true of these shepherd is they knew every mark on their sheep. They knew every one of their sheep from top to bottom. Oftentimes, you begin to read the history. I'm making, I'm just using this. They would have their rod, and they would stop their sheep at the door. And while they stopped their sheep at the door, they would examine the door. They would examine that sheep at the door. They knew everything about that sheep. They knew everything that the sheep was like. They knew what the weaknesses of the sheep were, what the strengths of the weakness were of that sheep were. I mean, this is just how it went. When I was playing college basketball, and I, it's probably a stupid illustration, 
It's not in my notes, and those are the ones I get in trouble. But uh, we'd have chalk talk before the game. I knew everything about the guy I was guarding. My coach had written it all out for me. Scotty goes left. He can't go right. So if you force him right, you're going to pin him. I knew it. Scott, he broke up with his girlfriend last week. I'm like, how did he know that, you know? And he did, and so I would kind of just mutter under his breath, it's been a tough week, hasn't it? You know, I mean, I was getting in his head a little bit. I'm trying to, but can you imagine the shepherd with their sheep? They knew their sheep, and they called them, and they, and they came out. And in a sense, I mean, maybe some of you have pets that way. Um, But they responded to the master's voice and they followed him. And the thought there, and I don't want to make too much of it in the description, he would lead them out, is what the text says. He'd lead them out to the green pastures. In fact, Grace Church, cases have been reported of shepherds who were blindfolded, but who would recognize their sheep when they came up to them. And then sometimes they say, no, this doesn't work. So then they would take off the shepherd's garb and put it on another shepherd. And the shepherd would use their name, but not in the same intonation. And the sheep would just sit there. It's not the shepherd. It's not the shepherd's voice. These were beloved Eastern shepherds. It was said, though, on the other hand, of Western shepherds. I'm not trying to make a point, but there is a point the western shepherds would drive their flocks. And they would drive their flocks by dogs. But not these eastern shepherds. They would lead their flocks. Their voice would call them out. They would move them wherever they would desire. Look at verse 4. He says, when he has brought out all of his own, his own, not all of them in the sheepfold, but when he brought out all of his own, he goes before them. And the sheep, what? They follow him. They know his voice. It's, it's just tender, and there they go. There goes the shepherd. And in Israel, you know, when, both in Israel and in New Zealand, you still see these scenes with shepherds on a hillside. They know his voice, and he leads them out, and they follow him. And there is an intimacy here that is endearing. There is a trust between the shepherd and the sheep, and certainly between the Lord and his followers. In fact, in this description of the shepherd, look at verse 5. A stranger, that's the thief and the robber. The stranger, they will not follow. They will flee from him for they do not know, what? The voice of strangers. So the good shepherd goes before them. He leads them and the sheep follow him and they flee from a stranger. That's the description of the shepherd. But what follows is amazing. Look at verse 6. It says there, the figure of speech used with them, or the figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not, what? Understand what he was saying to them. Now, a little bit, you're saying, how could they not understand? And I would say to you, certainly, certainly, They understood shepherding as an industry, but they didn't understand the figure of speech. They didn't understand the way in which Jesus meant it. So I take you here from the description of the shepherd, secondly, to the explanation of the Savior, the explanation of the Savior. They did not understand what he he was saying to them, and you say, well, why? Well, here's why. They didn't understand him because they're not his, what? Sheep. They didn't understand Jesus. They're not a sheep. And whenever you look at this in John, there's a lack of understanding that serves as a basis for their rejection of him. And John here uses a figure of speech as a form of judgment to these crowds. So what's the explanation? The explanation, don't miss this, is how the good shepherd forms his flock. He's talking here, beloved, about divine sovereignty. He's talking about here the theology of salvation. He's saying here that the divine shepherd, the good shepherd, has chosen his sheep. He calls them. He names them. He possesses the authority to do this. They know his voice and they, what? Follow him. And they obey him. 
And though some would argue that this sheepfold represents the church, that it represents heaven, I don't think so. I, think, I don't think so. I think what you have here is when he calls them out, he is calling Israel out of their false religion, is the text. The reason I say that is look at verse 16. Jesus said, I have other sheep. Who's that? It's the Gentiles. I have other sheep that are not in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. In addition, I think it would be hard for a thief to break in to the church or a thief to break into heaven and steal. He's calling about calling Israel out, out of false religion. In fact, he will in just a moment say that he is the door who alone has the authority to lead them out. He alone has the authority to lead Israel out of their false religion and to call him to himself. Now, beloved, I've told you that the thieves and the robbers very clearly represent the self-appointed Jewish religious leaders. Beloved, here's the explanation. They've climbed over the walls of the sheepfold and they are spiritually fleecing and slaughtering the people of God. He said, you travel land and sea. He said, when you make him a proselyte, you make a proselyte twice as much the son of hell. You blind guys, you blind fools, you blind guides who strain the gnat and swallow the camel. And so Jesus said, I have the authority to come into this flock and to call them out. In fact, it is so much on divine sovereignty, and we'll get to this. Look later in John 10, 25. It's a precious truth. He said to them, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me. He said, but you do not believe because you are not among my what? Sheep. My sheep hear my voice, divine call, and I know them and they, what? Follow me. There's the human response. He said, I give them, 28, eternal life, and they'll never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And certainly he's giving a word about perseverance, beloved. If you're his sheep, you'll hear his voice. If you hear his voice, you'll follow him. You'll obey him. He'll lose nothing. No one will be able to snatch you out of the Father's hand because he sovereignly called you out. He said in John 6, 37, all that the Father gives me will come to me and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. He said in John 6, 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And he said, I told you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted by the Father. Let me just share with this. One of the reasons you're secure, one of the reasons there's perseverance of the saints is because you've been called out by God. He initiated the gospel call to you. He caused you to come to him. You have followed him. You have expressed faith in him. And he holds on to you and you follow that call. But this lesson, beloved, now back in John chapter 10 was missed because in their blindness of the previous chapter, they could not see the Lord who is the good shepherd right in front of them. Now note here, beloved, Jesus here, if, if you look at this wonderful statement, look at John ten seven. He's going to explain further. He said to them, truly, truly, there's that solemn pronouncement. I say to you, I am what? The door of the sheep. What a statement. You'll note here that he's not just the shepherd who goes through the door, if you will, but rather he says now in 10.7, I am the door. Before he led them out of the door, but now he leads them in and out of the door. He is the door. Let me explain what's happening to you. I mentioned earlier that the shepherds had two sheepfolds. The one that they kept in the village was the walled enclosure. And other shepherds would put their flocks in the walled enclosure. They would hire the gatekeeper. 
the shepherd would go home at night. Briars were on the top. There was a gatekeeper to guard from the thieves and the robbers. But at times when these eastern shepherds would go out into the pasture and travel to get their sheep to the green pasture, they would travel so far that they couldn't come back at night. And those shepherds would do a makeshift enclosure to protect them out, even out in the pasture. And the shepherd would often lie down and be the door himself. That's the picture that Jesus is giving here. He tells this flock and he tells these people listening that I am the door. In other words, he drives the point home. He and he alone is the door. Now, as we've walked through John, this is the third I am statement in John's gospel. He said in John 6.35 that I am the bread of life. He said in John chapter 8, verse 12, that I am the light of the world. Here's his third declaration of the seven I am statements. I am, he says, the door. In fact, look what he says in verse 8. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. Who's he talking about all who come before me? Is he talking about everybody who's come before him? No, I don't think so. He's not speaking of the true prophets. He's not speaking of Moses. He's not speaking of Joshua. He's not speaking of David. He's certainly not speaking of John the Baptist who came before him. You know what I think he's saying? I think he's talking to the guys who are in the crowd right there. These guys. The ones who are in your midst. The ones who cast this man out the ones who are secretly trying to kill me. He said, all who came before me, he describes them as thieves and robbers. Doesn't sound very nice. I don't know what your picture of Jesus is. But I'll tell you, he dealt more truth out that would come out of any pulpit in all of the world than the truth that comes out there today. He said the false teachers are thieves and robbers and all the ones whom you're looking at who are standing in the midst are false teachers. They're thieves and robbers. But you notice he said the sheep did not what? Listen to them. Listen, I believe God's so sovereign that when he redeems a man or woman and gives to them the Holy Spirit, he places the Holy Spirit in them. And I think one of the things that marks any believer is the ability to discern truth from error. And when you go and you listen to a false teacher and when you listen to a false thief or a false robber, there's just a ring that they don't have of the truth. And I think the true sheep know that. He says, the thieves and robbers that have come before me, but nobody's really listening to their theology. Why do you think that the liberal church is emptied? It's emptied because the sheep are no longer there. Does that make sense? They're no longer there. These guys are playing religion. And some of these guys are down the street from us in Fresno. Okay? at one of the institutions down there that doesn't believe in the word of God. They don't believe in a six-day creation. They don't believe the Bible was inspired. They don't believe there was a real Adam. And on they go. And somehow we got Christians in that place. They're all over. In fact, I would venture to say that most of them aren't even in pulpits. Most of them don't even preach because there's no power when they preach. They're filled in most of the seminaries around the globe. Training future would-be shepherds how not to trust the word of God. Amazing. I had a guy tell me this week, he goes, yeah, I was there writing and, and one of the presidents there doesn't even believe in the inspiration of the Spirit and he wanted, or, the, or the Word of God and he wanted to know why I was writing a paper on it. I mean, this is just true, but they, they're not listening, if you will, to these because the true know it. And then he says again in verse, 10, verse 9, I am the door. If anyone, he says, enters by my name, he will be what? saved. Listen, here's the explanation of the Savior. There's much more I could say, but here's his explanation. There's just one way. There's just one means of entering into eternal life, and it is through what? Jesus Christ. He's the door. If you're here this morning and you've never entered, you better enter. You better enter right now. You better enter quick. There's not other paths, there's not other religions, there's not other ways to roam or ways to God. There's one way, and it's through Jesus Christ. And he probably is taking up that metaphor. If you look back 
in, ver- in chapter 10, when he, verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd, what does he do? He lays down his life for the sheep. I think he's picturing himself at the door. I'm laying down in the door, but then he's obviously giving a greater illusion that the true shepherd is gonna lay his life down for you. But there's just one way. Don't let people tell you there's other ways. There are not more than one way. There is one way, and you know that, unless you're Hillary Swank, the 1990 Oscar-winning Best Actress was asked, where does Jesus fit into all of you and your husband's success? I mean, here she is, Hollywood. Here she is, Oscar winner, Best Actress, and all that stuff. Here's what she said. She said, well, she said, it's not like we're Catholic or we're Christian or we're Episcopal or we practice Judaism or Buddhism even. We just kind of believe in a higher power. But that doesn't mean that we believe in a man God or someone on a cross. It just means that we all have God-like qualities. We have the power inside of us to do good things. That's Hillary Swank. That's common for many people. Jesus, it says in Acts 4.11, is the cornerstone, and there is salvation in what? No one else. He's the door, beloved. So listen, we have a, a wonderful shepherd who's provided a way for us to be made right with God. He will lay down his life. I was flying back from Montana, I don't know, two weeks ago. Stewardess comes on the line. They always say this at the end of the flight. Thank you for flying with us. We know you have a, what? A choice. I guess that's true. You can fly United, you can fly Delta, you can fly Southwest. But you understand, there's no other choices with this deal right here. Jesus said, I'm the door. He said, I'm the bread of life. He said, I'm the light of the world. He's the only way that you can have eternal life. Look, and we're all done in 1010. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. And I came that you may have what? life, and you may have it more abundantly. He came not only to give you quantity of life, eternal life, he came to give you quality of life, abundant life, and that he does because, beloved, he's the good shepherd. In fact, let me just send you home with this. He's such a good shepherd that the good shepherd in the original picture knew his sheep by what? Name. And if you're one of his, repeatedly in the New Testament, he wrote your name down in the book of life, in the book of life of the lamb who has been slain. You're not just a number. He knows you by name, amen?